especially the lines around the eyes, you know, your curl feet, your smile lines, and those little rolls we can see underneath our eyelids too. So I think a little Botox around the eyes goes a really long way for my patient, especially the ones that want to see their eyes a little bit more open. I often even combine it with, with surgery too. Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hi, skin friend. I have a special treat for you today. My guest today is oculofacial plastic surgeon, Dr. Sarah Avila. She is an expert in reconstructive and aesthetic eye procedures. And she actually did her fellowship in oculoplastic surgery up in my neck of the woods at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She is now the owner and founder of Sarah Avila Oculofacial Plastic Surgery, where she uses her eye for detail to give patients the best, most refreshed, most natural looking results for their eye care. I'm really excited today to have a discussion on oculoplastic surgery and what that is and how we can keep our eyes and the skin around our eyes looking amazing and healthy. You're definitely not going to want to miss this episode. Hi there. Did you know that many of the topics I bring to you on the skin reel are things I actually see and treat in my office? as a practicing board-certified dermatologist? That's right, at Bauckham and Mina Derm Surgery, my business partner and I are on a mission to provide exceptional procedural dermatology care in Atlanta, Georgia. We offer skin cancer surgery to large cyst and lipoma removals, to injectables, chemical peels, microcoring, and more advanced techniques with things like liposuction, eyelid lifts, neck lifts, lip lifts, and so much more. But most of all, we love helping our patients transform their skin with real results. You know me, I am all about real skincare by real skin experts, real simple. If you're in the Atlanta area, I hope you'll stop by and see me. You can get more information at my website, atlantadermsurgery.com, or by calling 404 844-0496. I can't wait to see you. Dr. Avila, thank you so much for being here. It's such a small world that you were up here in Atlanta and at Emory not too long ago. And I love that we can now connect over ophthalmology and aesthetics things. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's a small world and I'm so happy our paths are crossing again. <laughs> 
So, Dr. Avila, you are not a dermatologist, but there is some overlap in the different things we do. But you are an oculoplastic surgeon. And for our listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with that, can you elaborate what do you do? So, I'm an oculoplastic surgeon, like Dr. Mina said, and it's a path after ophthalmology residency. So we are trained eye surgeons that go on to do a fellowship specifically on all things eyelids and face. So we take care of the lids and brows, the orbit, meaning the sinuses, the lacrimal system, and the face in general. And we do functional surgery, reconstructive surgery, cosmetic surgery with a focus on the upper face specifically. And so you did a fellowship and then you have board certification in oculoplastic surgery. Is that right? Exactly. So technically we're double board certified by ophthalmology and as well by a, our ASOPERS Oculoplastics Fellowship, which is the American Society of Ophthalmic Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. So double board certified in both those things. Well, and you know that you are super, super well-trained in the things that you do, which is wonderful. Speaking of that, what are some of the procedures that you do day in and day out in your practice? So some of the procedures I do most commonly is actually blepharoplasty, meaning removing that excess skin on top of your eyelids for our listeners who don't know, ptosis repair or droopy eyelid repair, brow lifts. I also take care of a good amount of cancers being in Florida. So I do a lot of reconstructive surgery and that's where I probably have the most overlap with dermatologists and most surgeons like yourself. Yes, that's right. Sometimes with these cases, we collaborate together and I will remove the cancer and then send the repair to my oculoplastics colleagues like you, Dr. Avila. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit more about blepharoplasties. Today, just in my clinic, I knew I had my interview with you coming up, and I think I had about three patients asking me about blepharoplasties. So can you tell us a little bit more about it. Who is a good candidate and what is the procedure like? What can people expect if they're interested in this? Sure. So yes, blepharoplasty is a very common uh, surgery that I perform. It's the most common surgery I perform actually. So it takes care of the excess skin that we often get on top of our eyelid here. Now it can be for functional reasons, meaning that excess skin is becoming so abundant and starting to weigh down the eyelids and block the vision. Or it could be just for cosmetic purposes. Some people are just bothered by a little bit of that excess skin. They feel like they have a hard time putting on their makeup or that mascara. So we do what we call a blepharoplasty, which is just a removal of excess skin. I know some of my patients will say, well, yeah, they want to be able to put on eyeliner and they can't because their upper eyelid is pooching out or folding over and they can't wear eyeliner. Exactly. That's what I hear pretty much every day is my ladies unable to put on their makeup or their eyeliner. So this surgery definitely makes a huge difference for them. Now, who is a good candidate for a blepharoplasty or an upper eyelid surgery? Yeah, so really anyone looking for a rejuvenation or looking to see a little bit better. It's a straightforward surgery. Honestly, in my hands, it takes about 30 minutes to perform. I can do it in office if patients are okay with just a local anesthetic and a little oral sedation or in the ambulatory surgery center where we can put an IV and get patients a little bit more relaxed. But it's a kind of a quick in and out. You go home the same day. I tell patients recovery is about a week long with some bruising and some swelling. 
And after a week, I take out bitches and patients are usually back to their whole normal activities shortly after that. So it's one of the most beautiful things about oculoplastic surgery because it's a quick fix and patients see such an immediate improvement. Not everything we do has instant gratification and results, especially with the skin. Things just take time. But this is one of those procedures that you immediately see the difference. And when that swelling goes down, your eyes are more open. And here's one thing, and I'd love to get your thoughts since you're really an expert in oculoplastic surgery and eye expert. Patients will say they're worried that their eye shape is going to look different with this procedure. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. So that is so important. And I think that's why going to a specialist or someone who is experienced with eyelids is important because it's not how much you take away, it's how much you leave behind because you can get, although, you know, I'm here bragging it's 30 minutes, we get quick recovery done incorrectly, it can have some profound implications. Patients can be left unable to close their eye or left with dryness or like you said, changes the shape of their eyes. So yes, you have to be careful about how much skin you take away, how you plan your incision. But honestly, it's a low complication. Uh, it's a low risk procedure in the correct hands. And I find that my patients are very happy with the surgery. Yeah, that's right. It may take you 30 minutes, but that's because you've had years and years and years of training for sure. And uh, do you also remove, uh, maybe I missed you if you said this earlier, do you also remove a little bit of the, the fat with your upper eyelid blepharoplasty? Sure. So we can have a whole conference on this, right? Do you take away just skin? Do you remove a little muscle? Do you sculpt a little bit of the fat? And I do. Most of the time I'm, I am taking skin. I may take a little muscle. I may take fat often as well. Very very conservatively, but I treat every patient individually. Different patients need different things, but I'm often doing a combination of those things and also paying attention to the eyelid crease, reforming the crease, maybe adding a little lift to the muscle at the same time. So it actually is a very intricate surgery. You really have to look at the patient and it's not cookie cutter, right? Everyone's eyes, their eye shape and what they need is different. So even if you do 10 of these, in a row, they're probably all going to be slightly different. And that's how I feel about a lot of the stuff I do in skin cancer surgery. Sometimes people will say, doesn't that get boring? It's the same thing every day. And I'm like, well, every single patient is different. So it's really not. Now, what about lower eyelid surgeries, lower eyelid blepharoplasties? What's your approach to that? So lower blepharoplasty is also another popular procedure that I do as an oculoplastic surgeon, and that's to remove that bulge or that excess fat that we can get on our lower lids. So I like to go transconjunctivally, which means an incision is made inside the eyelid. And then comes the question is, are you just removing fat or are you moving the fat around and redraping it? And I would say I also do a combination of both of those things, depending on what my patient has and, and what they're looking for. It's a beautiful surgery to also add with a little bit of fat grafting, laser resurfacing, as you're very much well familiar with. So again, it's a surgery we tailor it to the individual, depending on their age, what they're looking for, what their goals are. 
but it's a beautiful way to just give a nice rejuvenation to the face. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're when we're talking about a lower eyelid blepharoplasty, we're talking about that sort of pooching out or festooning of the fat or that pocket under someone's eye. And a lot of times they will come in wanting filler in that what we call the tear trough area, which can help make the discrepancy less noticeable. But sometimes you really just got to remove that fat out, right? Correct. I couldn't agree more. And I find myself doing less and less under eye filler and recommending more eyelid surgery because, as you know, just because it's non-surgical doesn't mean it's better. And you can also have complications from under eye fillers with swelling and disrupting the lymphatics in the eyes, under eye area, which is really fragile. So I really do think if you have, like you said, that true outpouching of fat, then an under eyelid surgery or under eye blepharoplasty is going to be the gold standard surgery for you. Don't be scared just because it has the word surgery in it. Sometimes that really is the only thing that's going to give you that result you want. There is a limit to how much filler we can put in under someone's eyes and still make it look natural. And yeah, sometimes you just got to pull it out. I will say I knew I wasn't going to be an ophthalmologist when I was in med school and I was watching a, the plastic surgeon had just done a breast reconstruction case and the patient was already out. So they were going to do a lower eyelid bleph and I had to sit down. I had to say, that's enough. I, w- I just wasn't prepared for that. But yeah, I'm glad there are doctors like you out there who are handling that. And, and I can safely now uh, handle that. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised how many people get queasy when it comes to the eyes. But I mean, I love it. <laughs> so I guess I went into the right field. That's right. It's a sensitive area for people and can be a little nerve wracking. Now, I had a lady today and she wanted to talk with me about a blepharoplasty, but really what she had was ptosis, lid ptosis. Can you tell us the difference between those and how do you treat it? Or I guess, first of all, yeah, what is lid ptosis? So ptosis, like you mentioned, is just a droopy eyelid. It's a weakness in the muscle that's causing the upper lid to fall into a lower position. And the way I explain it to patients is your upper eyelid should be resting right on top of the colored part of your eye or your iris. So when it starts falling below that height, we start calling it a droopy eyelid. And there are multiple ways to approach a droopy eyelid. We break it into during surgery from the outside or an external approach from the skin or from inside the eyelid or an internal approach. And it depends on the patient, depends on the amount of droopiness, I guess you could say they have. And if they also have some excess skin, because if you're going to be making a cut on the outside anyways, you might as well just do your ptosis repair from that external incision. Yeah, so just doing an upper blepharoplasty where you're removing that skin over the eye may not adequately correct what they perceive as a droopy eyes because if that ptosis, that actual lid is still covering part of their eye, they're going to still have that sensation. So it is important to make that distinction and make sure you're getting the right treatment. One other thing about eyelid drooping and heaviness that I see is that people will then compensate by really holding their brows up high to be able to see clearly. 
And that can be really tiring. And people will say, at the end of the day, I have a headache. My eyes feel so heavy. I can, I have to hold them up to read or look at things. And that's because they're fatigued because all day they've been going around holding their eyelids up with their forehead. And then that makes it tricky because then they get the forehead lines and they want us to do toxins on them, right? And then that can just make the droopiness and the heaviness worse. So a lot of times for my patients, if they are having those sensations, I really encourage a blepharoplasty because especially if they want me to do toxin on their forehead, because I just know they're going to have that heaviness and they really just need to remove that eyelid skin for the best results. Do you see that too? Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty much an oculoplastic surgeon because you just nailed that. It's a slippery slope. So although patients may be coming to you wanting a blepharoplasty, what I may see is actually ptosis underneath that as well. And if you don't pick that up and address it at the time of your blepharoplasty, patients are going to be really upset after. And like you said, there's so many different ways patients are compensating for their ptosis. They're lifting their eyebrows high. They may be tilting their head back, chin up position a little bit so they can see. And during consultation, you may not notice a subtle ptosis and then you can unmask it after just a plain old blepharoplasty. So I'm very frequently combining blepharoplasty with ptosis repair because I find that most people have a little bit of ptosis, even though it, it, it is very subtle. So I tend to combine those two procedures a lot for the reasons you outlined. I don't do ptosis repair, so I'm going to send them to you then. <laughs> I love ptosis, so you can send them all to me. <laughs> now, what about this medication called Upneak that can help open the eyes? Do you use that or recommend it for your patients? Yeah, so Upneak is a newly FDA-approved medication, but all it is is just oxymetazoline, right? It's just Afrin, which we've had around for a long time. And the way it works is by working on the sympathetic alpha-1 adrenergic receptors on the eyelid muscle, specifically the Mueller's muscle that opens the eyelid. And that can give you a little bit of an eyelid lift, like as if you're doing a ptosis repair, but it's not permanent. Last a few hours, I do suggest it to my patients who just want a little bit of lift. They don't want surgery. I think it's also a beautiful option to have in your toolbox when treating patients. I know some people will do it if they have a party or photos or an event and they just really want uh, that pop with their eyes. I have to say, I did try it in one of my eyes. I saw no difference. I don't know if that just means I have just awkwardly large eyes or not, but I've got one more. I might try it again just to see. You know, if it makes you feel better, I didn't notice a big difference either, but I do have naturally large eyes as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess, yes, it's probably only worth your while if you do feel like your eyes are a little bit on the more closed or smaller side to, to help open them up. But yeah, I was just curious to see. So now I would love to talk about brow lifts. Do you do brow lifts? Yeah, we do a lot of brow lifts too as oculoplastic surgeons. And, you know, that could be an entire podcast in itself because it goes into that excess skin we see on top of our eyelids too, right? So patients may be noticing excess skin on their eyelids, but what they really have is a droopy brow. Oh, wow. So the way I approach it is your brow should really be sitting on that orbital rim, on that bony structure right here along the orbit. So 
when I'm seeing a patient, I'm palpating that area. I'm making sure that their <laughs> brows are sitting right on top of that. And often if they're lower, of course, it's going to cause a little bit of that excess skin. And then I can put their brow in normal position and show the patient it's actually not your eyelid. It's actually your brow position. Your brow is lower than it should be. And I actually recommend a brow lift in your situation. And that is often sometimes for doing a brow lift and not a blepharoplasty. Yeah, that's a great distinction. It, it is important to make sure the patient is aware what they perceive is just that heaviness, right? And just helping them understand, is it ptosis? Is it excess upper lid skin? Or is it brow being displaced downward? How do you approach these patients? What is it like? Is it in-office procedure like the upper lid? Bluffs, or is it a little different? Sure. So brow lifts, there are so many different techniques and I actually use a wide variation of, of all those different procedures. You can do brow lifts at the hairline here. You can do a brow lifts directly above the brow hairs here and lift the brow that way. You could do it through the eyelid cut. If you're already doing a blepharoplasty, you can kind of just creep up and, and do a little suspension to the brow that way. So it depends on the approach that I'm using, but I do prefer to do what we call endoscopic brow lifts where we're making the cuts right along the hairlines that allows us to hide the scar really well. And in those situations, I do prefer to be in the operating room. I feel like patients are more comfortable and I can achieve really good results while while they are more comfortable in sleeping. Yeah. And are the results pretty immediate, like with a blepharoplasty? It is going to cause a little bit more swelling. So I think the downtime for browless, I prepare my patients for a little bit more pain, a little bit more swelling than your straightforward blepharoplasty. But yes, patients can expect to see higher brows. In fact, sometimes I even lift them a little higher than I wanted to, knowing that I'm going to get a slight descend you know, after a few weeks. So I tell them it's going to be a little higher, but trust me, in a few weeks, it's going to be in the perfect position. Because if you have it right exactly where they want it, with all that swelling, they're going to be disappointed once that swelling goes away. I would love to know what are some of your favorite aesthetic treatments for the periocular area to brighten the eyes. I feel like people feel their eyes show their age a lot. And whether it's creeping skin or the bags under the eyes or the skin redundancy, but what are some of your go-tos for eye rejuvenation or and the skin around the eyes? We love Botox. It's the holy grail for us in terms of preventing wrinkles and smoothing those fine lines, especially the lines around the eyes, you know, your crow feet, your smile lines, and those little rolls we can see underneath our eyelids too. So I think a little Botox around the eyes goes a really long way for my patients, especially the ones that want to see their eyes a little bit more open. I often even combine it with surgery too. So we know that putting Botox in certain areas like around the orbicularis, so around the crow's feet here, as well as treating the brow depressors can really help open the eyes more. So that's something that I do in combination to give a nice little open eye effect. Treating the under eye wrinkles here too. Patients really like that as well. We've definitely gotten better, I feel like, over since the years of my practicing, even knowing where to inject around the eye to get a little lateral brow elevation and under the eyes for that creepiness, which it's no longer just the three little injections right on the side, right? You can really finesse this to really give patients a great result. 
Yeah, and you can really customize it. Chemical browless are all the hype right now. Patients really enjoy seeing their kind of tail of their brow coming up a few millimeters with a little Botox to it. So it is something I do very often in practice as well. Yeah, although I have to say, sometimes people are a little unrealistic about what that can do. They really want an exaggerated brow on on the tail of the brow. So you have to maybe counsel that, hey, this is not going to maybe look like that picture or what you saw on social media, but it certainly can give a little lift and elevation there. So that kind of leads me to my next question. I know in dermatology, well, in aesthetics, right, there's so many different trends and things being put out there on social media, some good, some not so good. What are some eye trends you're seeing out there? And do any of them concern you? I see so much on social media and I just have to refrain myself and move along. But I would say something I do see very often, and this goes back to the conversation we were having, that just because it's a non-surgical treatment doesn't mean it's better, right? So sometimes people will promote something as a non-surgical alternative to the blepharoplasty, for example. So plasma pen is a good example to talk about as people who do it say it's the non-surgical alternative to the blepharoplasty. And what it is, it's basically burning the skin making little tiny burns to the eyelids and all around the eyes in this usually beautiful pattern that, and they promise that it's going to tighten the skin and make that wrinkled, crepey skin get better. We know that's not the truth. (laughs) We know that the results are going to not be long-term. So that is something I always counsel patients to stay away from. I'd be worried about scarring with that delicate eyelid skin. Yes. And we see it as oculoplastic surgeons. I think most of us have seen at least one case of burning or scarring or some sort of complication from these things like the plasma pen and variations of it. Yeah. What about, have you seen or heard about people dyeing their iris, the colored part of the eye? Right. Yeah. So I think changing your iris color is something we have been doing for a long time in ophthalmology, but for conditions like aniridia. So when patients are actually born without an iris, we can go in and provide an implant, an iris implant, which has a lot of benefits, blocking the sun, all of those things. But now people are trying to do this for cosmesis. You can either change your iris color by putting an iris implant in or lasering the pigmentation that you already have on your iris away or inserting actual dye pigment into the cornea in order to give the appearance of uh, an altered iris color. And again, I think if you trained in ophthalmology, especially in New York City, because there is some big centers that do this there, you have seen complications of it. So you are implanting something into the eye. It's sitting on top of your iris that often can cause inflammation, glaucoma, vision loss. I've seen loss of eyes from this. So yes, I would say it's heartbreaking and it's not something I recommend. Yeah, I would say maybe get contacts, right? That's a safe alternative, right? Correct. You know, maybe in the future our technology improves, but I think with the technology we have right now, our results are limited and there is definitely high risk of complications for those procedures. Yeah, gosh. And just the thought of dying or 
tattooing your iris just kind of gives me like the heebie-jeebies a little bit, but I have seen it and heard about it. So I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on that. Are there any trends out there that you think are good or that you stand behind? (laughs) Well, I love that people are using skincare at a younger age, I think because of our skin influencers on social media. So I find that even my little cousins who are 20 years old have started on vitamin C's and retinol. So I'm like, that trend specifically. Yeah. And sunscreen, I think we've also, I think the dermatologists have done a very good job on social media promoting sunscreen. So I am liking that. I'm seeing a younger population that are putting their sunscreen on and using smart sun protection. What about sunglasses? Should we be recommending that too for our eye health? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an oculoplastic surgeon. I see it of eyelid skin cancers. In fact, I tell my patients about 10% of actually all skin cancers occur on the eyelid. So I tell every patient, don't forget your eyelids when you're applying sunscreen. Sunglasses, beautiful way to protect your eyelids against sun. At, you know, now we're seeing different makeups, even eyeshadows with SPF in it. So I think we have so many options today to help protect the delicate of our eyelids against the sun so we don't end up with an eyelid skin cancer 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah, because those are challenging for the patients. They're not easy. It's such a sensitive area. And I have to say, even as a dermatologist who I never forget my sunscreen ever, ever. However, I sometimes forget to put it on my upper eyelids. I don't know why. I have to consciously think about that. I don't know why it's like I stop at my eyebrows or people I know stop at their neck or stop at the lower face and don't extend to the neck. So it's important to include all that and include the upper eyelid skin when you are putting your sunscreen on and the lower eyelid too. So that's great advice. And yeah, we as in our field, we take care of these patients with these skin cancers. And I always say like, put me out of treating skin cancer that I wouldn't be mad about that at all. Dr. Avila, this has been a lot of fun. Can you share your top three pearls for listeners regarding aesthetic eye procedures? Sure. My top three pearls regarding kind of aesthetic eyelid procedures, you know, I'm going to add the sunscreen there, protecting your eyelids, putting, applying that sunscreen on your eyelids. I think being careful with lash serums as well. We didn't touch up on that, but I see, you know, there are so many different brands of eyelash growth serums out there. And a lot of them contain prostaglandin analogs, which is something that can really help the eyelashes grow thick and long, but it comes with a lot of side effects, right? We know it can cause dermatitis, periocular dermatitis. It can cause fat atrophy, meaning the fat to go away, leaving you with sunken eyes. It can change color of your iris. So there's another way to change your iris color if you don't want to go the iris wrong, but I don't recommend that as well. What do you recommend as a safe alternative then for people wanting to grow their eyelashes? So there are a lot of other growth serums there that will be prostaglandin analogs free. The one I specifically use is called Alchemy and it is ophthalmology tested. It has no prostaglandins. So that is the one I like. And I'm always reading the ingredients in the back of the product to make sure it doesn't have any prostaglandin analogs. And I tell my patients, anytime you're seeing the word prost, latanoprost in the name or batamaprost, those are prostaglandin analogs. So look for something that either begins or ends with prost or has prost in the name. That means it has prostaglandins in there. So stay away from that if you see prost. 
they can work really, really well. But I know a lot of patients can't tolerate it because of the irritation. And I was always really worried about using it because I have green eyes and I didn't want them to become brown. I love brown eyes, but I just wanted to keep mine. So yeah, that was a concern I had. So that's great advice. I guess my last one would be to seek out a qualified, well-trained surgeon for whatever you're considering. You know, if it's for complex eyelid surgery, I would see a board-certified oculoplastic surgeon. If you're looking for a rhinoplasty, go to someone who's ENT trained. So I think being qualified and board-certified in that specialty is really important. Yeah, especially nowadays, we're, we're so super, super sub-sub-specialized. So you want to go see the person who is doing this day in and day out. And sometimes my patients will ask me, well, what's your surgery day? Or I'm like, every day is my surgery day. I do this every day, literally every day. <laughs> so you want to see the, the person who's doing it every single day, right? I couldn't agree more. Yes. Do your homework, read about your surgeon, read all the reviews, ask friends that may have used that surgeon and just be informed. Yeah, absolutely. And in this day and age, it's so easy to get that information. So just make sure you do your due diligence. Don't just go by the reviews or what your friend says, like actually do a little more investigating because this is your face. And a lot of this stuff we're talking about might be somewhat medical, but it's also cosmetic and you don't necessarily have to do it. So you really don't want complications. You really want to get the best outcome possible, obviously, really every time. Well, Dr. Avila, this has been a lot of fun. Where can our listeners and viewers follow you? Because you put out some really great stuff on social media about eye health and also where do you practice? Sure. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's Dr. Sarah Avila, just my name as well as TikTok. It's the same thing. I practice in Miami, Florida. So if you're from Miami, feel free to look me up and pay me a visit. It would be an honor to see you and treat you. So yeah, I look forward to being friends. Yeah. So well, awesome. Well, I will include all of that, all your handles and everything in the show notes so people can get in touch with you and follow you. And I really appreciate your time today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. We'll see everyone next week. That's all I've got for this week's episode of the Skin Real Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help me and other new potential listeners to find my show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave me a review, take a screenshot and email it to info at theskinreel.com and I will send you a thank you free PDF on skincare truths versus hype because you know I love spreading the word of good, truthful skincare. And please be sure to share, share, share with your skin friends so that we can get the word out there about real skin. And until next time, remember, no matter where you are in your skincare journey, always remember to love the skin you're in because real skincare from real experts can be real simple.